I'm going to start off very simple this morning, and I'm just going to say that I believe uh, that people need Jesus. People need Jesus. There are people even in our church who desperately need Jesus. There are people who come week after week. We have kids and grandparents who come week after week who know a lot about Jesus, but have not personally committed themselves to him. And so they need Jesus. We have people in our families that need Jesus. Maybe you are that person who did not grow up in a Christian home. And you have a mom and dad who need Jesus. Maybe as a kid, a friend led you to Christ. And now, day after day, year after year, you pray that God saves your parents. A brother, a sister, an aunt, uncle, maybe your children. You are burdened every day. You are overwhelmed with this, crying out to God for God to save them. Because people around us, close to us, need Jesus. We have people at work who need Jesus. Maybe it's your coworker, Maybe it's that customer that comes at least once a week. And these are people that you know and you spend time with and you listen to them and you know about their ups and downs. And maybe in the mornings on the way to work, you think of them and remember them by name and you pray for them. And you're just praying desperately that God would save them because you know that no matter what, in the end, They need Jesus. People in our neighborhood need Jesus. We are living in the city of Pasadena. But how many of us actually take time to know and to serve our neighbors? Do we even know who our neighbors are? How often when we drive by public schools in our city do we pray for the students there? When we drive by someplace that is not very safe and we see people on the street that we take time to pray for them. Because even they need Jesus. Jesus. There are millions of people around our world that need Jesus. There are unreached people groups. There are thousands of people groups around the world. Groups of people that have their own culture and language and history, but have zero gospel. No missionary has gone to them. They have no Bible in their language. Stories in the Bible that are so familiar to us, they have no idea about. If we don't cry and pray for them. If we don't take a risk and go after them, who will? Who will? There are many, many in Turkey, India, South America, and many, many other places around the globe that need Jesus. And we believe that though this breaks our hearts, it breaks God's heart all the more. Even though we love these people around us, He loves them all the more. Even though we want to see these people, our family, friends, and neighbors to come to Christ, He wants them all the more to come to Christ. And I believe that God is more than able to save people. He is this all-powerful and all-wise and all-perfect and all-saving God. And in Him, we hope. But the question this morning is, how does this work? How does God change people to reach people? How does the gospel spread from one person to the next? Or to say it differently, how does God work in us and then through us? How, how does this work? Today we're going to see two answers. Two answers in the way that God works in us and through us. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1. If you have your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 5, 1 to 11. 
On that on day, sorry, not enough coffee today. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, uh, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You may be seated. People need Jesus. Our question this morning is, how does this take place? How does this work? How does this gospel spread from one person to the next? And the first truth that I want you to see this morning is this. That Jesus reveals his word, his power, and his holiness to show us our desperate and broken condition. He turns our lives upside down by showing us who he is so that we can see ourselves in light of that. He reveals his word, his power, and his holiness. Let's take these one at a time. The way that Jesus reached people was through teaching. Through teaching. From the very beginning of his ministry, he was teaching. In chapter 4, verse 14 of Luke, Jesus was in Galilee. We read, he taught in their synagogue... And everyone praised him. Chapter 4, verse 16. He goes into Nazareth and went to the synagogue and read from Isaiah 61 and showed how he fulfilled that prophecy. He kept teaching. Verse 31. He went to Capernaum, the very hometown of Simon Peter. And he taught on the Sabbath. Verse 32. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. He taught, he healed, he cast out the demons, and then he went alone. And when the people said, where are you? We have other work to do. He said, I must go. He said in verse 43 and 44, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus knew that his mission was to teach the good news of the kingdom. And everywhere he went from the beginning of his ministry, he taught. 
And now we see that in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. He's standing by the lake with a crowd around him, listening as he is teaching the Word of God. Let's stop right there. The people are crowding around him. Another translation says they were pressing on him. The word for pressing is used in the, the Gospel of John to describe a stone that was pressing on the entrance of a tomb. The word for pressing is used to describe the fish in, the, in John 21, how the fish were pressing on the burning coals when they were going to have breakfast. It was pressing on them. There was pressure. When the people were pressing on Jesus, there's excitement, there's interest. These were not lazy, casual spectators. They were rushing at him. They were pressuring him. They were crowding in on him to hear him speak this good news. But there is one person that is not pressing in on him. There is one person who is a little distracted. Simon is in his own little world, washing his nets, and Jesus wants to reach him. Verse 2, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He, he, was, he was teaching. The people are crowding. He needed to step away. He thought he can use the boat as a podium, get a bigger, better view of the people, and preach from there. But I think one of the reasons was he wanted to get closer to Simon Peter. And so he says, Simon, let's, let's go out. And so they're out into, in the water. It's just him and Simon and some of the workers. Slowly you see Jesus getting closer to Simon, wanting to reveal himself to this man. And he kept on teaching from the boat, and Simon was listening to him. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Maybe he was preaching from Isaiah when he said that he has come to preach the good news to the poor, proclaiming recovery of sight for the prisoners, sorry, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. And Simon was listening. Before Simon went out to be a fisher of men, before Simon broke down and confessed his sin, before Simon was amazed at Jesus, he was sitting under the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus was revealing his truth and his message to this man. He revealed his word, and he also revealed his power, his power. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I wonder how long Peter paused between those statements. We've worked hard all night. Maybe there was some pause. But because you say so, I will, I will let down the nets. And, and maybe we can use some biblical imagination here. Let's think for a moment, what was going on in Simon's mind when Jesus said that? What wrestling in his heart between faith and questioning and doubts? He could have been saying, on the one hand, I'm exhausted. Uh, my back is hurting. I am very tired. I just want to go home, eat something, and rest. On, on the other hand, on the other hand, this is... This is like no other. This is Jesus that we're talking about. It was just recently that my brother Andrew ran to me and said, 
Simon, we found the Messiah. We were out standing there and John the Baptist said, he's the Lamb of God. And so we went to him and he said, come with me. And we spent the day with him and he was speaking to us. Simon, you should have heard his teaching. I think he is the Messiah. But, but on the other hand, I'm just so frustrated. I just had a bad night. I'm a fisherman. I have pride. It's bad if I come back and I have caught nothing. And what is this man saying? He's a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Who are you to say something? And he's giving me advice. Going out into deep water during the day. What does he know? That's breaking all the rules. You're not supposed to do that. You won't catch anything. On the other hand, I've been hearing this man teach. He came to Capernaum recently and was teaching in the synagogues. And this man spoke with authority. I haven't heard anything like it. And he was healing people. Just last week, he was over at my mother-in-law's and rebuked the fever and healed her. After that, he spent all night doing this healing marathon. So he has power. He is like no other. And I believe that there's something different about him. Because of this authority, I believe that the presence of God is with him. And, and, and so I will, I will believe and I'll obey. I have questions, I have some doubts, but I will follow what he is saying. Yes, Lord, I, I will. I will take down the nets for a catch. Verse 5, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now in light of this, Peter should have been excited. He should have been happy. Wow, how cool is this? I'm tired. I want to go home. I had a bad night. Didn't catch anything. Now I got so much fish. Both boats filled up. We're sinking. Water's filling in. Oh, what a great story to tell my family. And he didn't do that. He should have been excited. Wow, finally I can pay off my debts. Finally I have money for my family. I can pay the workers. My business is set. Wow, what a, uh, extra money. This is always thank you. The Lord has blessed me. He didn't do that. He should have gone to Jesus, hugged him and said, wow, thank you. So nice of you. I'll see you in the synagogue next week. You know, let's meet up sometime. He didn't. At that moment, something happened in Simon's heart. The light went on. He woke up, and his life was not the same anymore. He was shaken. He was trembling. Just this last week, I was trembling. Monday night, uh, about 2 or 3 in the morning, our fire alarm went off, and it just, it, it, I was trembling. But it wasn't as, it wasn't the first time. A couple months ago, the fire alarm went off one night, um, and, and I don't know if you have this type of fire alarm in, in your place, but uh, a bright white light is blinking, and there's an ear-piercing ringing, like very loud. The baby woke up in the womb. It was, it was just very, very loud, and it went off four times in one night every 10 minutes for about a minute or two each. We went outside. We dealt with it. Fire department, they turned it off, and it kept going. In fact, by 4 a.m., we left. It went off four more times after that as well. There was some dust in the smoke detector outside. That was it. But I trembled a lot more this Monday when the alarm went off just for about five seconds. I was in a deep sleep, and instantly I was awake, and it took me just a second to figure out what's going on. My heart's racing. I'm breathing heavy, and it took me a while to calm down and go back to sleep. 
Peter trembled a lot more than I did last week. He was shaking. He was trembling. He was overwhelmed. His heart was broken. He saw Jesus for the first time. He didn't see the fishermen or the fish or the miracle. He saw the person and and the teaching and the miracle and the power, and he trembled. Peter not only heard the teaching and saw the power, but he trembled at the holiness of Jesus. He saw Jesus, and in light of that, he saw the depth and the extent of his own sin. And he said, he said, falling at Jesus' knees, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. The sinful man trembles when he stands in front of the Holy One. We've seen this many times in Scripture. Whenever someone is before God's holiness, they tremble. Genesis 18, Abraham said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. Judges 13, Samson's father said, We are doomed to die for we have seen God. Job 42, My ears heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The sinful man breaks in front of the holiness of God. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees God in all his holiness, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King. Apostle John Revelation chapter 1, when he saw the holiness, he fell. He fell as though dead. Simon said, go away. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I'm inadequate. I am unworthy. I cannot stand in front of your presence. Go away from me. Seeing you is causing me to see my sin all the more. Little did he know that blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He said, go away from me, Lord. And I'm really glad Jesus didn't listen to his request. Because Jesus said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. I know you're a sinner. I know you're messed up. I know you're unworthy. But that is why I have come. And to comfort Simon, he said, don't be afraid. Why not? Okay, this is powerful. This is holy Jesus standing in front of a sinner, miserable person. Of course he should be afraid. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Because that is why I came. It is the cross that takes away fear. It is the cross that brings forgiveness. It is the cross that brings healing and peace. That is why I came, Peter. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He reveals his word. He reveals his power, his holiness. Simon sees how broken, needy he is. And that is step one for our how question. How how does God work in our lives and through our lives? How does the gospel spread from one person to the next? When we first see the word and the holiness and the power of God. And it breaks us and it leaves us in a desperate condition as we break over our sins. But the story does not end there. Simon doesn't say, wow, thanks, I'll see you later. The story 
does not end there. There is more. And I'm afraid that many of us assume that the story ends when we become Christians. I'm saved. Okay, I'm set. I'm saved, and now I'm just busy with with my church stuff and my Christian living. I'm saved, and I just have to live my own life. No, the story does not end there because there are people who still need Jesus. The story does not end there. We must go and tell them. There's a person who is quiet and sits in the corner of the church every Sunday. That person needs Jesus. Our co-workers and best friends, our children, our neighbors, the world around us needs Jesus. The story does not end there. And there's more. Our problem is that we're asleep in the light. Uh, a godly musician years ago wrote this song, Keith Green. Wrote a song called Asleep in the Light. Let me just read you a couple um, parts of the, the song. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Oh, bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. And he weeps. And he bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can you see it's such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. So how does this work? God reveals his his word, his holiness, his power, and it breaks us, shows us our desperate condition. And there's a second point here. There's a second point, because the story does not end. And the second point is this, that he invites this surrendered heart to follow him and to bring others along. He is wanting us to see him and follow him and then to go out and catch people for life. This is how the gospel spreads from one person to the next. The end of verse 10 says this, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus said, you've been a physical fisherman all your life. Now you're going to be a spiritual fisherman. And that was preparing you for this. And you were were going out every evening to catch fish. Now you will go and you will catch people for life. Let Let me point out two things here. He leaves all and follows him. This is not the first time that Jesus had called Simon. Initially, in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, you see this. He went to uh, Simon and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says that he left his nets and followed him. This is different. This is more personal. This is a lot more powerful. This was life-changing. He didn't leave his nets. He left everything. He left everything. And And you have to think like a fisherman here. He's out in deep water. He hadn't caught anything. He's standing there with Jesus, with his workers, probably jumping for joy. Two boats filled with fish. His business is set. It's so full that it's sinking. At that moment, he realizes, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, follow me. 
Let's go catch people for life. And he leaves everything and follows Jesus. He leaves the fish. He leaves the successful catch. He leaves the other workers. He leaves the boats. He leaves the business. He leaves everything because now there's something more important. He is telling Jesus, I want you more than my successful business. I want to follow you more than living for myself, doing my own thing. I want you more than anything else. I treasure you and you alone. That is what, that is what he was saying. That is what he was saying. What about us? For the sake of the gospel, what are we going to give up? What is it that is consuming your time and distracting your heart that you need to give up and to leave behind to follow him and to go catch people for life? For the sake of the gospel, how will you sacrifice your personal comfort and rest to go after people? How will you rearrange your resting time? How will you replan your weekends and your Saturday afternoons so that it's less about me and more about let me go and reach and serve and help and share the gospel? Jesus is calling us to follow him, to follow him. But the focus is not follow, the focus is on him. It's not just burdensome and hard and overwhelming and sacrificial. When you know who it is that you are following, you see this very differently. It's not a painful, it's hard, I don't feel like doing this, I don't want to do it. But there will be a new desire for him, a new joy. Because it is the Lord Jesus Christ that we are following. And then he says, go catch people for life. In Mark 1 it says, I will make you fishers of men. The, the word for catch is made up of two Greek words, catch and life. It's not that you, just like with a fish, you catch and you cook them and you eat them, but this is catching for life, for the purpose of giving them life, for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is an ongoing command. Continue to catch men, Peter. Your life is different from now on, day in, day out. For the rest of your life, you will catch people for life. You will be a spiritual fisherman. You will be catching them. Several decades ago, there was a man named Dawson Trotman who shared the gospel with many, and he led many to Christ, and he discipled many. And he started the Navigator's Ministry to train others to do the same, to lead people to Christ and to help them grow in Christ. Um, towards the end of his life, he gave a message at a Christian conference, and they took note of his message and turned into a little booklet. And that can pretty much summarize his burden and his passion for ministry. It kind of summarizes his purpose in life. The booklet is called Born to Reproduce. I am born again for the goal of reproducing, giving new life, multiplying so that others have new life as well in Jesus. Let me read you just a few quotes by Trotman. Remember... Nothing under heaven except sin, immaturity, and a lack of communion will put you in a position where you cannot reproduce. Only sin, immaturity, and a lack of communion with him will prevent you from reproducing and leading others to Christ. He is saying that we, us as a church, if we are in sin, or if we are immature in different significant areas, or if we are not growing in Christ ourselves, then we will not lead people to Christ. The numbers will not grow. 
He says this, It is God's plan that these new babes in Christ to grow. All provision is made for their growth into maturity, and then they are to multiply. Listen, every person who is born in God's family is to multiply. There is no sitting in the Christian life. There is no pause in the Christian life. We are called to always move, always walk, always grow. There's no other option. Every person in this world is either a missionary or a mission field. Either you are receiving the gospel or you are spreading the gospel. There's no third option. There's no other option of Christianity. If you are a child of God, you are called to multiply and to lead others to Him. It doesn't matter if you are 8 years old, you can still speak the gospel. And I've seen this many times. I heard about a kid who was able to lead his teacher to Christ because God's Spirit was at work. I've seen 88 years old people lead to Christ. Everybody who is part of God's family can multiply. We are born again and then we multiply. We're called to reproduce. This is no optional Christianity. Jesus said, come to me. Okay, great. You saw him. You're a sinner. Now go. There, there's, no, there's no waiting there. There's no look. Uh, come back in a few years when you're a little bit. No, no, no. You, as, you got it. Now go spread it. I caught you. Now go catch others. Last quote by Trotman. You can lead a soul to Christ in from 20 minutes to a couple of hours. But it takes from 20 weeks to a couple of years to get him on the road to maturity. Victorious over the sins and the recurring problems that come along. He must learn how to make right decisions. But when you get yourself a man, you have doubled your ministry. In fact, you have more than doubled your ministry. Do you know why? When you teach your man, he sees how it is done and he imitates you. One person leads another to Christ, helps them grow in Christ, and now they go and they do the same and the numbers multiply. Maybe there's a person at church that you notice has come for the first time and you go and you talk to them and and you can tell from the very beginning that there's some issues overwhelming them, uh, concerns, some questions, and you say, look, let's let's talk, Uh, you know, we don't have time right now. There's, there's somebody else that's waiting, but we only have a couple of minutes. Let, let's go and talk. And so you decide to meet up for coffee. And for a few hours, you, you listen and you ask questions and you understand where the person's coming from. And you encourage them and you give them the gospel. Will you just leave them there? Will you say, okay, I, I think you got it. Great. I hope, okay, I'll see you, you know, later, maybe in a couple years. I, I, hope, I hope you're fine now. You know, come back to church, though. No, you're going to continue to check up on them and work with them. It's going to take a while for them to change their sinful habits and to repent and to understand the truth and to grow. You need to continue to reach them and meet them and share the gospel with them over and over and help them understand what it means to be a Christian. Let's say there are a few people you are praying for. The Harvest Crusade is coming up on September 10 at the Dodger Stadium. And, and, and you have your bookmark and you're writing their name down and, and you want people to come to Christ. And so, um, so you, you call these people and you've been thinking about them, you've been praying for them. And two of them say, you know what, we're going to come. And you're just excited. Uh, your friend was praying as well. You tell them and it just it's great. The day of, both of them call and cancel. One person says, look, um, a family emergency came up. I need to go deal with this. It frustrates you, but you say, okay, you know, I'll talk to you later. 
Just an hour or two before the crusade, another friend calls and says, you know what, uh, I just, something has come up, I just don't want to go. Uh, I just don't, don't feel like going. And maybe you're going to feel like a failure, and, and maybe you're going to be frustrated, maybe you're going to put them down and say, no, and that's not right, and you start pressuring them. But that person needs you now. Maybe that person who is in that family emergency needs the gospel now more than ever. And so you put your plans aside for the Harvest Crusade and you go and you meet with them and you help them and you comfort them. Maybe that person who said no just wants to see if you will still be their friend even if they are not ready to commit to Christ. Maybe they have too many personal struggles and they're not ready for that and they need you to keep loving them, to keep befriending them, to keep praying for them, to not give up on them. There's a lot of work we need to do for the Harvest Crusade. But there's more work we need to do before and after. Let us pray that God saves people before the crusade. But even after, let's continue our phone calls and our friendships. Because people still need Jesus. September is around the corner. And maybe you are that person who's starting a new school. Maybe you just finished 8th grade. You're starting high school. Or you just finished high school. You're starting college. You are starting a new graduate school. You are starting a new program at work. Whatever it might be, there are people around you who still need Jesus. And when it comes to this issue of evangelism, I think many of you are overwhelmed with guilt. I know I need to say something, but I don't know what to say. And you're overwhelmed and fearful. I will make you fishers of men. You don't do this alone. Jesus is the one who's going to enable you to give you the grace and the strength and the words so that with your words and with your actions, you share the gospel with those in need. You are born again? Great. Now go and multiply. This is a command, and yet there is a promise for us in that. Jesus is speaking to us this morning. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There's one more detail about this passage that I want to point out to why were there so many fish or so much fish? I, I think, okay, if he caught nothing, if Jesus did a miracle and gave him 10 fish, wow. Or maybe like 25, 50, it'll still be wow. But why, why two boats? Why is it two full boats? Why is it two full boats that are sinking? Why, why the exaggeration? Why, you know, is he overdoing it? What's the point? I think that he's trying to teach Peter... Simon Peter, a connection between the fish and the ministry. He said, go catch fish, and there was great success. Now he says, go catch men, and what happens? What happens? Peter becomes a better spiritual fisherman than he was a physical fisherman. And we read in Acts 2, this is what happens. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 4. But many who heard the message believed, and a number of them grew to about 5,000. On that day, there was a lot of fish. It was sinking, but now, so much more blessing and success. Now that he's a spiritual fisherman, God is blessing and leading people to Christ. If Christ is able to do such a great miracle with a fish, is he not more than able to do a great miracle in bringing people to salvation? 
If Jesus is able to take a simple fisherman, make him a fisher of men who brought many to Jesus, can he not also take simple people like us and make us fishers of men so that we lead many to Jesus? In light of who he is in all his power and holiness, let us come to him today broken and desperate. If you have not done that, today is a day of salvation. See him in all his power and all his holiness and all his love and see your sin and come before him and confess and then go. Because people need Jesus. The gospel is to spread from one person to the next. Go, let us catch them for life.